The following program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. Headphones are cutting out. I'm under spiritual attack. Help! <laughs> anyway, this is the Faith Debate on WFMD, 9.30 a.m., also 99.9 HD2 on the FM and worldwide on the web at WFMD.com. Thank you so much for spending part of your Sunday morning, the final Sunday morning in June 2022. And by now, we probably know what that ultimate decision from the Supreme Court was as we record this. We won't be talking about that. We talked about that issue a few weeks ago on the Faith Day when we didn't know what the final outcome was. So we're going to pick up where we left off uh, talking these last couple of weeks. We're talking about end times, eschatology, the second coming of Christ, the end of time as we know it, and how to understand all these things. We spent some time last week defining terms and all that sort of stuff, and so I would encourage you to check that out uh, if you'd like to kind of get a, a, a heads up on some of the things we might be talking about this week. I'll do my best. Things that haven't come up recently on the show that might be big buzzwords theologically, I'll try to define those, or Daniel Rasvi will, or David Forsey will. One of us will remember to do that this week. The three of us, Daniel, David, and me, Troy, are pastors of house churches here in Frederick County, and we are talking about these end times. And uh, we talked a little bit about the rapture already, and we talked about uh, some dispensationalism and amillennialism and, you know, all those little buzzwords and little fun little party words that you can use to impress all your friends and family. Uh, but we started to go down the path last week. And we kind of ran out of time talking about, well, how do we approach interpreting this thing, these things, particularly the book of Revelation? Do we want to be, what was the word you used, the, the phrase, super literal? Uh, as opposed to just literal. And uh, You said wooden. And I used the word wooden because I feel like that's just easier to say than super literal. And I think it's best to start the answer to that question with how do you interpret the Bible in general. And I would, uh, yeah. And, so, and yeah. you should apply the same principle to Revelation. Absolutely. And so let me let me tell you how I answer that. And then, the, you know, it, since you were already, I kind of cut you off last week, David. To well, I probably didn't have anything else to uh, say. I'm sure you had plenty. <laughs> So I'll give you a chance to respond first to what I have to say, unless you you end up deferring to the second half, and you can let uh, right. uh, Daniel go first. So I would argue strongly that all of Scripture should be interpreted literally. Big deal, right? Everybody says that. But here's what I mean. I mean literally, and getting into the root meaning of the words. So we should, we should approach all <laughs> literature and interpret it literally, because it is literature. And so one of the first things we should do as Bible readers is identify what kind of writing am I reading? What's the genre? Because we don't interpret poetry the same way we interpret legal code. We don't interpret history the same way we interpret prophecy. And when we're talking about the Revelation, book of Revelation particularly, we don't interpret apocalyptic literature the same way we would interpret the gospel gospel accounts, right? So there's, there's different, so we come, now we should also, by the way, good practice, we should try to get, come to understanding of, uh, as best as we can, what the histor- original historical setting was, who the original audience was, who the original author was, as best as we can know. We don't know all of the answers, all of these questions, but as best as we can know, we want to know that, and we also want to read it uh, as a canon, meaning we want to read it as literature. So somebody that writes something on page one and that same someone writes something on page 200, it's the same author. We should keep in mind that, okay, that author is the same person. He's not going to be contradicting himself, particularly if he's God. <laughs> so 
we so the entire canon of scripture should be in view as well. So when I say we should interpret everything literally, I mean it literally as literature. So that but that ends up meaning that I do not interpret Second Chronicles the same way I interpret Daniel. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or at least the second well, half parts of Daniel. Of, parts second of half Daniel. of Daniel. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. The the there was prophetic Bad example. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Well but but I think in this context I want end times people would hopefully know what I mean. But right. uh, and, and maybe good example in the sense of you uh you know, parts of Daniel are different. Di- different parts of different books are yeah are employing different communication techniques. Is maybe what the way I would you know sum up what does it mean to you know right you know what what's a historical rec- a record you know what is a the what is a, like what is a poem yeah 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 Je- Jesus gives a whole bunch of commands and then it says and Jesus did this and he did that and then he did that and then it says Jesus said this and he said this is a parable. Well, that's a different thing. It's not right. literally true. All the, the when he says this happened, and that's a parable. He's not actually recounting a historical event. Now, the Book um, of Revelation specifically, because we're talking about the end times, and that's the fun third rail of theology that you know a lot of people are afraid to even talk about. So let's focus there because that's where the fun can happen. And I think it's really instructive. That's why I think it's good. Not just because it's fun, because I think it'll be instructive. Revelation is a combination of genre. Mm-hmm. In one sense, it's a letter. In another sense, it's letters within a letter. In another right. sense, it's, it's, uh, it's prophecy. In another sense, it's apocalyptic vision. And the, the apocalyptic uh, language, the, the highly charged symbolism and stuff, uh, we, we don't appreciate this well enough, in my opinion, because of the times that we live in. Uh, I use this as an example uh, quite often with, with people when we're talking about this. If your wife you know, forces you to sit down and watch a romantic comedy. You know, you're five minutes in and you're like, oh, that guy's going to end up with that girl at the end of the movie. You just, because you just know it's, it's the formula, it's the genre. You know what to expect, <laughs> right. right? Or think about this. You're, you're in a movie. It's the exact same scene as another movie. All right, the same setup, the exact same. Everything seems exactly the same. Uh, it's... The husband and wife in their car having a conversation, and this, it's the close-ups of them having their little conversation. It's a sweet little thing, and they're talking back and forth, right? The exact same scene, one movie, movie A, movie B. Movie A, you know going in, it's a romantic comedy. Movie B is a horror movie. Right. You're watching that same scene. The romantic comedy, you're like, oh, they're getting to know each other, isn't this cute? Very, very different expectations. Your guard is down. You're watching the other one, and they're having this pleasant, good yeah, repartee. They're probably like, going to die. Yeah, right. they're going to die. <laughs> When's the monster going to jump out and eat them? Like, this is bad. So it's the exact same scene, but different genre, so it's mm-hmm. interpreted differently. That's what we have to keep in mind, in my opinion, when we're reading a book like Revelation, is understand that this is not a list of genealogies. This is not a letter in the the didactic sense of like something that the Apostle Paul would have written. This is something different that, again, we forget this, but my understanding of of looking into these sorts of things, go back 2,000 years, 2,500 years even, apocalyptic literature was like pulp fiction. It was like very popular, apparently. So the original audience, they knew this genre. Like they knew it inside and out. They knew what to expect. They knew that that symbol means something, or it's going to connect to something later on in the story. Or like they were, they're expect. We 
have very little familiarity with it, and so we struggle to understand Revelation properly. So there's, there's my sense. I've given you plenty of time now, David, to gather your thoughts. What would, what would, what would, what, is there anything you would push back on with that, or something I've left out that's important to add to? Uh, no, I meant. Um, so when you say when you say apocalyptic, uh, are are you meaning you're not meaning a separate genre even from prophecy? Is do you mean this is a per- particular subject matter that's being? No, I'm talk- Well, it, it oftentimes it, it lends itself to talking about uh, a particular subject matter. Right. But, but apocalyptic way I'm using it is actually as its own genre where it's it's a revelatory uh, writing that's revealing through encoded symbolism, highly exotic. Uh, imaginative uh, symbols that are hyperparabolic, if you will. <clears throat> they're parables, but they're hyperparables. See, that, that sounds... And that's a whole genre of, of literature outside of the Bible. There's mm-hmm. a po- that's what I'm saying. It was hugely popular in the day, even outside of yeah, that, scripture that, that I mean, that description sounds a lot like poetry to me. Um, you know, whether things are are very often very symbolic, right? Representative, um, you know, in order yeah, to. Uh, yeah, and, I would say that the, the difference, though, with poetry, though, is one: poetry is usually it has a particular structure and a form, it helps you to define it as poetry, right? In our d- context, d- depending on yeah who who the poet is and or what time period the poetry was written in, and yeah, right. But there's 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 either there's symmetry or there's couplets okay. or there's rhyming or there's rhythm or there's you know there's different things that you say this this is something that could be sung, generally speaking. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now there are portions of Revelation that are poetry, actually. <laughs> I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a it's a it's it's in my opinion. Okay. Put my cards on the table. The Book of Revelation. The most amazing, beautiful, sophisticated, intelligent, spectacular thing ever written. Ever. By anybody. The more you study it, the more impressed you are by it. It is stunning how wondrous and beautiful and and just special it is. And that's why it's sad to me that so many Christians are afraid to read it. So many pastors are afraid to preach it. Right, so many Bible teachers are afraid to address it in a Sunday school class because they're afraid of it. Oh, it's a third rail of theology. We're not going to go. We're not talking about Revelation. That, that's divisive. It'll confuse people. It's so wondrous. Well, I, that, that, it's like saying I'm never going to watch the best movie ever made that's, because that's, that's probably why so many people are are also intrigued and fascinated by it as well. Yeah, it 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 draws it draws people in. Yeah. So it because it's so highly symbolic, and everybody has their way of interpreting the symbols. And we don't ha- if we don't have good hermeneutic principles, hermeneutic that's a fancy word for interpretive principles. We don't have right. good interpretive principles. We can go all over the place. Um, and sometimes we have these these hermeneutic principles that are our our system for understanding, and we lock into our system. So, but I, but I was t- I was go ahead. So I was going to say, people with different systems will come to different conclusions. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll let you say what you're saying. So, and then- so my, my, to piggyback off that, my system is always to err on the side of, like, what, that it's not a symbol, that it's not figurative, that it's actually what it says. 
and 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 reserve the right to say, okay, well, that doesn't actually fit now with the rest of it, so maybe it is symbolic. But if you're not sure, then it's probably what it actually says. I think that would be horribly frustrating for the author who intended it to be taken symbolic for a reader to insist on not taking it symbolic. And I say that because I'm firmly convinced that John, as he's writing down his vision revealed to him from Jesus, he's intending it to be taken symbolically. And I would think it would be horribly frustrating to him, like, come on, man, how many more clues I got to give you to take this symbolically? That's my playful way of pushing back on that. What parts, what parts of Revelation do you think lend them, other than the, like the letters of the six so, churches? So I, I would just offer another, uh, maybe another slightly different idea, which would be that I, I think there might be times in Scripture when we can say, okay, this is, uh, this is literally, <laughs> or versus symbolically. So, uh, but this is, this is, you know, this is actually what is happening uh, or going to happen, but it, it depends on whose eyes you're looking through. So, Right, and, and a lot of people have, have made, the, made the argument that when John is seen and writing down X, Y, and Z, let's just imagine that John, forget any particular passage of Revelation, but take John and put him in the middle of the Gulf War and he sees helicopters flying overhead and he sees missiles doing the things and maybe somebody just sets off a nuclear bomb or whatever. How is he going to describe that in terms that a first century person is going to understand? It's going to start to sound fantastical to the point of being ludicrous because there really is no way to describe it. They have no frame of reference to understand such a thing. And then just to think what heaven looks like, which is so much more vast and, and amazing than we could possibly understand. And he's there in heaven seeing it. And then he's got to put it into, not English, but Greek. He's got to put it into Greek and, and, and explain it for a human. So it's, it's going to sound really weird and maybe very figurative or symbolic, but maybe he's, what he's describing is actually what he's seen. And, and until you actually see it yourself in heaven, then you won't get it quite. <clears throat> that's why I always try to err on, okay, well, maybe this is really what's happening. You know, maybe there are physical locusts coming out of the ground and, you know, uh, uh, torturing people. And maybe they really do have hair like women and, and they sound like horses and stuff. Maybe he's seen a helicopter and it looks like that. Maybe it's just a spirit and there's no physical thing with it. Maybe it's a lo- locust. I don't really know. But what's the point of the passage? The point of the passage is their demonic activity that is torturing people and causing pain and suffering for people who are not saved. That's the point of the passage. I don't know what it's going to look like. I think I'll know it when I see it. And I think when John saw it, he wrote down what is what he what he saw in terms that you know you'd be able to understand. And of course, it's from divine inspiration. It's not John writing; it's God writing. But yeah, uh, well, it's both. I would say. Well, yeah, both. Um, but I, I th- you said what passages of Revelation would you say? Okay, you got to err on the side of uh, of literal. I would say anything to do with numbers. You want to try to be as as literal as possible because otherwise, you really get into a lot of numbers games. Now, sometimes numbers are supposed to be symbolic. G- uh, Daniel talks about weeks of years, meaning he is seventy weeks, and then he says, "Well, actually, each day is like a year, and so you got to count this. So it's actually four hundred ninety years, and it's really cool because that lines up perfectly with the birth of Christ and all of that." 
but then you can take it really far, like the uh, Seventh-day Adventists do, and say, oh, well, and it says 2,300 days, and so now that's years. So 2,300 years later is 1844 or something, so Christ comes back then, well, which didn't really happen, so now they had to invent other doctrines. But it, if you look at the passage, just to use that as an example, we, uh, Daniel just got done saying 70 weeks of years or whatever, and then he says 2,300 days. But he doesn't actually say the same word. He says 2,300 evenings and mornings. Just so you can be really clear, this is days now he's talking about, not years, right? So it is, that's good in the, in the uh, Greek or Hebrew, if it's Greek uh, Septuagint or if it's Hebrew Masoretic text, you, you can see this is the evenings and mornings it's being talked about. That gives you an idea, okay, he's now being very literal. So, so you, I don't know really exactly what I'm saying other than you, you have to give, I, I, I think you have to give them the benefit of the doubt that it really could be actually happening and be proven wrong. It looks like you were inching to say something a second ago. Do you still have the thought in your head? Uh, no, I mean, I think Daniel made a really good point, uh, just as we're considering all of this, that, you know, that there is a... Uh, there's a there's a, a purpose behind, you know, whatever the genre of literature is, like in scripture, right? It's it's seeking to instruct, you know, in in principles, you know, to impart uh knowledge and to you know, there there's a there's a reason why it it's not just there to be fascinating and interesting and clever and, and all of that. You mentioned yeah. uh couple of things I want to do. Uh, I'm, not, I'm trying to figure out a way to blend them into one question or thought, and I can't. So it was interesting. I don't know if you were really intending to do this, but you were giving the example of, you know, John seeing his vision. He might have seen helicopters, and he describes them as locusts. Uh, and that seems to me that that's not an argument that would support the trying to take things as literal as possible. If what he saw no. was helicopters and he describes them as locusts, well, then if I'm going to read it woodenly and say, well, what he saw is locusts, when what he actually saw were helicopters, then I'm missing his point if that's the case. Right. So I didn't feel – I don't – was I missing something? No. I, I said that, that argument has been made that what he's seen is helicopters. And, right. And, and the, the Usually by I'm the saying... hyper-literalists, by the way, which is undercutting – that's why I was asking yeah. the question. It's like right. undercutting their yeah. own argument. Well, right. So so the question – the thing is, is it is it – is it literal or is it is this just the best explanation that we can get of what's actually happening but it is as it, it should be as close to what literal as possible that's what i'm all i'm saying is gotcha. that we want to stay as close to literal as possible and again we may define literal differently but yeah. i think in the context of what we're talking about what the words say that's and the first picture that comes to mind maybe that's his it, it, correct. Maybe the wrong picture is coming to your head, but it's it's hopefully as close to that as possible. And that's how I like to be, because I feel like that's the more cautious approach. Because if you can start to make things symbolic, then you can make things mean whatever you want to mean. And that's where you get some really crazy doctrines, because people apply that same principle to other sections. And I know, Troy, you would not apply that to Leviticus and say, oh, well, when it says homosexuality, well, that really just depends on your, your per perspective. And, and then you can go off into that. And I know that's not what you're saying, because you want a distinct uh, difference in interpretation for you know, yeah, Leviticus I, versus Revelation. And I would disagree that if you take it symbolically, that gives you license to make it mean whatever you want. Uh, the idea is to try to make it mean whatever the author wants it to mean. It's about uh, authorial intent. That's what we're trying to get to. 
what did the author intend it to mean? Mm -hmm. and, and we need to keep in mind, what did he intend it to mean to the first readers? Revelation, I believe, was written in the first century. Some people would argue that point, but I think it's clear it was written somewhere between the late 60s and the early 90s. So somewhere in that window of time, what would those people have understood it to mean? And he's writing with them in mind. He's writing this letter to them. It's for us, too, because God's also the author and he's got us in mind. But it's got to mean something to them. How would they understand it? So I think that's an important thing for us to keep in mind. You mentioned the numbers, you know, how we got to be literal with the numbers. One of the most famous numbers uh, in the book of Revelation is 144,000. Mm -hmm. And I, I would argue strongly that we should not take that as a literal 144,000 people. Now, the dispensationalists are freaking out hearing me say that because they, they would hold to the view that there's going to be literally 144,000 exactly Jews who are converted to become evangelists uh, after the uh, rapture. Like, that's a big part not of their frame. Not only Jews, but frame. virgin male Jews. So, uh, from but each tribe. When you yeah, when you I, read I would it, agree with that too. But when we read Revelation for what it is, and you got the idea, there's all this imagery that's talking about the old covenant and the and the tribes and the and the new covenant uh, with the with the apostles, and twelve by times twelve equals 144. That helps to explain what's going on. So it's it's talking about the fullness of God's and, people and the God's people and, in regiments, in military array. It's the church militant. And to I me, that's, argue to me that's such that a that's, gigantic leap to, to get there that it's, it, 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 you can't come up with that, in, in my opinion, by just reading the text and saying, oh, well, it says 144,000. I think it's pretty obvious. To me, I would take it very literally there. Well, see, I would, if, if, if I were John, I'd be very frustrated by that. Well, you're assuming John believes what you believe. Well, uh, uh, well <laughs> I'm telling you, to, to, me, it is, to, to me, it is so clear if we try to take the text for what it is and, and not read it like it's uh, a precursor history. He's not writing history in advance. He's writing is apocalyptic. That, isn't that what prophecy is, though? But this is apocalyptic. It's, it's not just here's what's going to happen. This is I think highly I, charged yeah, symbolism. I, I, to me, it's helpful to look back at other other passages of Scripture that we would say, okay, this is essentially apocalyptic in nature, right? Like some of Daniel's stuff. And, uh, you know, and say, okay, like, how has this fulfilled itself? How has this come about in history? Mm -hmm. You know, like with, uh, I mean, you know, the particular example that comes to mind is the... Uh, you know the 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 ram and the horns and and that sort of right. deal and the way that we see that uh you know fulfilling coming about with Alexander the Great and his mm -hmm. you know his kingdom being divided into into four parts and and that sort of deal and so uh so so yeah but but i i guess you know and i think this has been said already i'm also content to say okay some of these things we won't recognize until they happen. And some we won't recognize until after they happen. Think about the road to Emmaus. Those disciples who Jesus had just said, well, I'm going to die and be raised again. And I'm, like, I'm going to be the oh. flying ointment because I would argue it's happening. <laughs> and people aren't seeing it. Interesting. Yeah. It's talking about the church military. It's talking about us now. Now. That's a passage for us today. It was a passage for John's original readers then. It's about us. And those of us who refuse to see that are not getting the intent of John. And I would be, I'm, I'm frustrated on his behalf. 
When he lists the 144,000, he lists them in the 12 tribes, and he names the 12 tribes. Mm -hmm. Have you, has anybody ever noticed that those lists of, of the 12 don't match any list of 12 in the Old Testament? Why? Well, it says Joseph. Why? Why doesn't it match? You've got to ask that question. And the, re the answer to that question is because John's making it painfully obvious. Is, look, this isn't literal tribes. This is symbolic. And I'm bringing in, I'm, I'm pulling the people that were the outsider tribes to the top of the list to show that this is, this is the fullness of God's people here where the outsiders are welcome in. It's, to me, it's so clear. And I know that people disagree with me. I get it. But the, 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 the point is, I guess I'm trying to make, is if we try to get too atomistically wooden and take each verse and each phrase and each passage as all by itself and lose the full thing, we lose the beauty. I feel like Revelation is nowhere near as beautiful if I'm going to take that as, oh, it's 144,000, that's all there is to it. There's so much going on there. Anyway, there's my little soapbox. Yeah. we got to wrap up this show. We're going to talk about Israel next time. Well, 144,000 plays into that, so I guess that's a good segue, Yeah, good segue. Right? Yeah, this was fun. All right, anyway, uh, I hope it was fun for you. It was fun for me. I won't talk so much next week. Uh, Daniel Rasby, David Forsey, I'm Troy Skinner. This is The Faith Debate. Follow me online at householdoffaithinchrist.com and the station online at WFMD.com.